deeper down the rabbit hole. Saturday, 6 p.m., live in Toronto, Ontario, at the Queen City Curio Occult and Spiritual Store. Welcome. Here we are sitting in Toronto at 607 Gerard Street East. This is Queen City Curio videocast and, of course, the Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. You know, we've been doing this for six years. Some of you might know us on the podcast. The videocast is a little newer. Videocast is newer. Podcast has been going for 12, man. It's been a long time. Well, you should not... Date me like that because it really is embarrassing. Like then I have to talk about how actually old I am, you know, bro, bro. Like, you know, even we're I'm going to take, we're going to take Asian standards on this of how young you are. Right, right. There we go. How young I am. There we go. So we're at six oh seven Gerard Street tomorrow. In case you're wondering, if you happen to be a sponsor, you love this kind of stuff. Tomorrow we have a Monkey King meditation and introduction. We were going to do that on April 1st, obviously. He's a Chinese trickster spirit, and this mm -hmm. is April 1st. And we're actually having a show, so maybe we delayed to make you think we weren't having a show because it was April Fool's, but we are. And it's not an April Fool's thing. But tomorrow we are actually doing a trickster, actually, lesson and whole thing. And an anti-Buddhist Buddhist spirit? Anti-Buddhist, anti yes. It nullifies itself. Sort of like an anti-hero, but anti-Buddhist? I, I don't know. It is when you read the stories of uh, Journey to the West. Absolutely. Trickster spirit, Chinese trickster spirit that we're going to cover. If you're wondering, we're in East Chinatown. And if you ever come to the physical store, you realize we have multiple shrines, one of which is a shrine to the dead, relevant to what we're going to talk about today. About and the shrine to the dead also has some blessed Tecate stuff, rel also relevant. It's got other spirits there too. People donate stuff all the day. Do you have to? Pay us anything to use that shrine, Zach? No, you just come on up, and it's a community shrine for everybody. Okay. Right. So just come up, and second shrine that is actually active in our hallway is a, is a shrine, a Buddhist shrine, with right now only has one spirit active, which is Danichi. But we're working on getting an artist to actually, which is the Sun Buddha, the creator Sun Buddha, which is the appropriate mm. one to start with. And you just come up here, and you sit in the hallway by the elevator, and you can pray, and kind of actually people have said that they know that that's we actually enlivened that right mm -hmm. and he's there and and you can kind of let your worries behind for a little bit uh there's no cost to either of these shrines you just come up we maintain them for the community uh, the shrine from the dead shrine like i said has a few hakate art artifacts on there that we've built over the years yes. and a lot of other spirits too right that people donated their their psychopomps to the altar mm -hmm. to help you so, like, if you actually physically come here, there's a lot to do that's not actually having to pay. Although, like, if you're a sponsor, you know, you help us keep the lights on. Thanks in advance. We'll give you more information about the sponsorship at the end of the show. So today, who do we have coming down the pike, Zach? Well, we have Cindy Brannon, and she's a Ph.D., and she's also a spiritual teacher trained in energetic healer, psychic, and herbalist. Merging her training in shamanism, tarot, past life work, meditation, and psychology. She teaches and writes about better living through witchcraft. Welcome to the show, Cindy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I want to go to your monkey meditation now. You're of the monkey here. So whenever we start talking about the monkey in Chinese astrology. We can hook you up. Like, we can hook you up. Ears, my big monkey ears. <laughs> we can hook you up for tomorrow. We'll send you that link. 
I think I, I think I pretty much have a deep, deep relationship with the Monkey King for a lot of years. <laughs> yes, yes. For better or worse, depending on your point of view. <laughs> so you also live in Canada. You, like most of our guests, come from the United States, or you know, but yeah, you are yeah. a fellow Canadian from the, from Nova Scotia. I do. I live in coastal rural Nova Scotia in a teeny tiny fishing village very near world famous Peggy's Cove. There you go. There you go. Beautiful here. I think today we're seeing a lot more love from Ontario. So that we are. That we are. The show said you didn't have many fans, but I think you do. I think you do. do. We're seeing a lot of Ontario people kicking in. So, yeah. So you're getting a lot of love from Ontario, from Niagara, Toronto. So I think. I think now, I think you know the truth. There is Canadian love. There is Canadian love. <laughs> Canadian Hecatans. Canadian Hecatans unite. There you go. There you go. So one of the things we kind of ask, like you have a PhD in psychology. What convinced you to write Entering Hecate's Garden? Well, I, you know, I've studied herbalism my whole life, you know, formally in self-directed studies. And... I've always been enchanted by the green world since I was a very small child. Oh, you know, it's always been my happy place, you know, to be in the woods, to be in nature, to be gardening. And many, many years ago, when I first got started studying, I guess, more clinical herbalism, I was really fascinated by it and, you know, drawn to it and then kind of discovered like, books by the herbal kind of witchy herbalists like Scott Cunningham books and so on. And I really started to become fascinated by the potential of a crossroads between psychology and herbalism that included magic or what I might call like holistic herbalism that includes like the energetic aspect of plants in addition to the physiological properties. So that's, that's kind of like the big container and then the kind of the the thing that was the tipping point was I was reading many, many years ago, the story of Jason and his Argonauts. And there's a part in one of the, so then tra there's different translations and there's different versions of the story, of course. So I was reading the Argonautica and in the Argonautica, there's a description when Jason convinces Medea to do some magic and basically render, you useless this dragon serpent creature who guards the special fleece that he's so enchanted by um and in this particular version of the story it's referred to as hecate's garden and so for me i don't know if either of you have ever had one of those moments you read something and it's like ping uh, you know like they just there's like a key that gets offered to you and it unlocks something and you go through that rabbit hole with glee and abandon. Like, what is this? Why would the author have called it Hecate's Garden? And then it lists all these plants, big long list. I don't know, have either of you ever seen this list? Well, it's in the book, but you know, there's this list of plants. And then, so I started to research all these plants, especially the ones whose names I didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. And it opened up a whole world to me about how Medea was portrayed in those stories and why might the authors have portrayed Medea as thus and why was Medea's practice of magic which was really magical herbalism why did it 
you know, start to take on this nefarious tone. You know, what started off as the, the practice of pharmacaea, you know, this kind of holistic herbalism that was, you know, rooted in like, you know, like everyday life. But over time, you know, with, I mean, I'm sure the two of you know a lot about the, the history of the witch, but as this all became bad over the centuries, you know, I felt that I felt like it was really juicy and alive and there was some reclaiming that I could do there. And, oh, excuse me. And there was also this idea that occult herbalism, which really intrigues me and has for many like decades, uh, that there was a way to kind of take some of the essence of the occult herbals I really liked and to to merge it with like practical herbalism. And, and so that kind of, you know, in a big, like a magical spell, those are all the ingredients that kind of led to the birth of this book. Well, I mean, certainly Zach being a professional Chinese medicine doctor, like we're right there with you that there's the herbs and then yep. there's the magic of the herbs and you get a lot better results if you sort of combine magic of the herbs with the herbs when you're doing healing work or not healing work as it were <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like but you still like i think that's a myth right you're countering a modern myth and maybe a modern myth that many people think and your book's quite clear on this that you know there's the herbs they have bio bio properties like neuro properties or i mean biochemical properties there's the their herb that has that and then there's a magic aspect and when you kind of add the magic aspect there's a multiplier you imply a multiplier not just a it's not just the biochemistry of the herbs like herbalism there's something extra that happens when you do the magic uh, and and we would we'd agree with that 100 there's no question that you would get better. You always get better results from herbalism, throwing the magic behind it. Now you mentioned that there was a lot of times that you're spending in the forest, and you're kind of having these. What was your first experience with a plant spirit, which the book kind of talks about contacting plant spirits a lot? Oh, I grew up like in suburbia, surrounded by the woods, and I think. One of my first loves, one of my first plant spirits that kind of comes to mind right now is this beautiful birch tree that was kind of in this little grove. It was on top of a rock. It was this kind of like my little secret place that I felt really protected with this birch tree, you know, the white lady of the woods. And I developed, you know, a rich imaginary kind of scenario around the birch tree being like this white lady you know who watched over the woods i was a really unusual child that didn't fit in anywhere so you know to have the plant spirits in the woods they were like my companions you know my mom used to call them my imaginary friends but to me you know they like the, the trees that i developed relationships with were alive and, and very animated so the birch tree we lived in a very woody place so the birch tree the maple tree I'm still like, I love the poplar trees, although they're, you know, more moody and different than the birch tree. So I would say it was just all those trees in my little suburban forest behind my house when I was really young. And when you got older, did you kind of, when you started getting down the magical path, were you able to kind of use some of those things to actually see actually changes in reality? 
I think definitely, you know, like that's a big discussion, right? Talking about working magic or connecting with spirits and petitioning spirits for, for favor. I mean, that's a huge discussion, but I would say definitely, you know, there's that one level when you can connect to the uh, deeper spirits of a, of a plant or a botanical, that one level of opening up your imagination to the mystical, you know, to the deeper world, which I think is magical in and of itself. And then there's also like the, you know, working with whatever components you might be working with from a tree or a plant or a flower to cast some kind of magic to do a spell. In my language, it's a spell. And, you know, I think there is working with those essences, there is a way to turn the dial towards healing is really where I focus, you know, towards healing. There is something greater and deeper and more profound that when we sing our spells to life and when we drink our infusions and add an incantation to them, we awaken uh, part of the consciousness of the plant and they can become our helpmates. So when you're talking about the herbal experiences, you do talk about infusions, like heat infusions, cold infusions. How does that actually start changing, well, the spell work or how you're approaching them when you're doing that processing? You know, when, you know, when we're meditating, like we work with our breath, with, which is a physical thing, right? We control our breath, we breathe deep, you know, we do different breathing techniques. That is a physiological process that opens us up to something deeper. And, you know, when you work with a plant like that and you add water or make an oxymel or whatever it is you're doing, it's almost like the way we use breath to deepen our meditation experience and to open us up. We're opening up what is deeper inside that plant, especially if we attune our intentions to it with words or sigils or, you know, other correspondences. If we're connecting to the vibrational essence of the plant in a deeper way, I think it is really akin to how that physical breath uh, can be used to open up to so much more. So for just beginners, how would that look like from a step-to-step -step or even meditative practice? Like, what would you recommend to connect to the plants that way? Now? I think we all maybe have plants that we're drawn to. You know, if you start to think about like your childhood, Maybe you had a special tree that you thought was a spirit, or maybe wherever you live, you know, there's a plant, a rose bush or something. I would say that, you know, first kind of look around in your life for plants that already have an affinity with you. Um, you know, because a lot of times there's so much to study and learn in herbalism. And, you know, I remember when I was first drawn to it and I wanted to know everything about everything. And I always say, you know, start small, start with something that already appeals to you and that there is something there. There's, you know, there's a tug, something about that really wants your attention and maybe explore that. You can explore it in an intuitive way and just, you know, using the breath, um, connect to the plant spirit. If you can actually be with the plant spirit in a growing form, that's amazing. But you can also look at images. You can work with, you know, spirit cards. For example, like we use spirit cards in my school for those who can't have the actual plants because plants are, of course, you know, the physical plant is a representation of an archetype, the archetype of the rose, which is deeper and vast and can be really encountered in many different ways. 
So I, you know, say like, go with what feels comfortable and what you're drawn to. Don't get overwhelmed. And then, you know, talk to the plant. Like we've all been doing this, you know, since doing this since I was a teenager and had a spider plant in my bedroom. You know, you don't just talk, like start small and then go from there. It's, there is so much, I mean, even in this book, there's 39 plant, there's 39 monographs. And, you know, that was a negotiation. I wanted to have enough monographs to give the reader a lot of options, but not so many monographs that it became overwhelming. There's many great herbal encyclopedias out there that they can get, you know, if, they, if you want something like that. And, you know, readers can certainly like look in the notes in this book for my recommendations for those type of books. So I say start small. If it is consumptive, something that you can safely consume, you know, start with a tea, dandelion root tea. If you really like dandelions, if you love roses, rose hip tea um, and get familiar with it. Or maybe you already do that. Maybe you have your dandelion tea every day already. And then you can start to explore that in a more spiritual way. You know, you can look at the monograph. What are the, you know, you might know the physical properties of dandelion, but you might not know the spiritual and the magical. So, you know, maybe start to do a little bit of research. Maybe if you are, you know, if you start your day with some type of spiritual or meditative practice, incorporate your tea, whatever it might be in the morning into that practice and see it as, you know, see it as part of your sacred work and then kind of build from there, you know, build your repertoire by starting what's comfortable with you. If you are a person who has like, if you go to like a TCM doctor or another type of herbalist for a treatment, you know, as you receive your treatment, allow yourself to build a relationship with whatever herbs you're being given. And not just in an informational scientific way, but also in a spiritual way. Like, you know, I don't know, is that something that you talk with your clients about? Well, I mean, Generally, our approach is very much of spiritual herbal perspective, right? So everything is a reflection of something in your life. So when we're talking about things like building relationships, it's, well, what's your reaction? What does that mean? So this is where Chinese medicine will look at greater relationships, not just in the physical body, but also the spiritual body, the energetic body on things, right? Well, that's, that's said that when I teach herbal classes here at the store, it's all about making relationships with the spirits of the plants. Absolutely. And then boosting the energy of herbs by many factors. by, And then basically seeing what you could do for practical magic once you have a relationship. If you can have a relationship. Some plants you cannot have a relationship with. They're just, you don't get along with them. Just like people, right? Just like people. I've done plants like that. Like, for example... American mandrake and mandragora, so the European version, and mayapple, which is sometimes mm -hmm. called American mandrake. I spent like over a year trying to build a relationship with both versions. I made little poppets. You know, I did all the kind of witchy things I do to connect to plant spirits. And I was just like, you know what? There's nothing here. It's been a year. <laughs> so sometimes, and that's okay. Like if you don't feel drawn to a plant, that's fine. Like there's no like, you have to love mugwort in order to be a follower of Hecate. Like there's nothing, you know, it, let it be, you know, this kind of beautiful blend of what you're learning, either from going to a practitioner or taking courses, reading my books and what naturally feels right for you. Like what kind of fits it's like any relationship, 
it takes time. Like it's not like like what is that app that you swipe? <laughs> Tinder. Yeah, that's. <laughs> wait, wait. We need a Tinder app for plants. We just uh, no Tinder app right there. Swipe right, swipe right, swipe right. This plant is <laughs> sexy enough for you to swipe right. I mean. Yeah, and I think we're arguing for the opposite, right? Like, I think we're operating, like, saying it takes, you got to meet the plant for, like, a cup of tea, go for a walk, get to know it, and, and take your yeah. time with it. Like, not the yeah. swipe, swipe, well, swipe, swipe, swipe. I think the biggest problem that I found, at least with the methods that we use in the center, isn't that there's no connection point. It's that people get sick from some plants they wouldn't expect, or they have an adverse mm. reaction. Like, I think our, I think everyone has a reaction to every plant. Just sometimes it's not the expected reaction. Like the book says, it should be this, and that's not what happens because you know the plant got the plant there, but their energy has got a shadow issue or, or something there that the plant just happens to be not jiving with, and they get they get ill or they get headaches or something like odd. And that's not necessarily bad. It's like an allergy, like sort of like. It's saying that there's something in you that's not right. Like, or it's it's not that the plant is wrong or you are wrong. It's that there's something uh, out of sync between you and the plant. There, there's a lot of self-work that has to happen or, or something. Like, or maybe it's just how it is. Or just, well, I mean, usually I think people are pretty flexible, like, in their personality. But I just think that that's just how it is right now. Like, as in, for some reason, you know. Now, sometimes, like, that's like, I started off by hating Rue because it would give me headaches all the time. But as I worked through it, I kind of realized, okay, it gave me headaches because it's a very loud plant for me. Like, And like, it's very, not demanding, but when you're dealing with money issues, it's very cutting, like, you know, and it's just very loud and, and harsh. And once I got that down, I kind of felt like, okay, this is a very helpful plant. It's just harsh. Like, so it comes across as harsh and, I interpret that as a headache, you know, like, but eventually after a while I got through it, you know. You know, that's so interesting. So lavender is one that I, I'm fine with lavender. We're doing lavender in my school next month. So I have been communing deeply with lavender in preparation for that. And every year with lavender, it goes the same way. And I've thought about this. I was like, why? And do I grow my own lavender if I buy lavender, you know, different. I'm not much of an essential oil person. So it's usually like either fresh, you know, like lavender I've grown once, or I'll buy some commercial lavender just so I can have that experience that most of my students have, right? And every year I'll get the lavender out because I like to keep it near me as we're getting, you know, and start dialoguing with it. Every year it gives me like this mild headache. And I thought about this a lot because lavender is really popular. And so one of my theories is that it has something to, there can be plants that we just don't get along with. And I I don't know, do either of the two of you follow astrology? Are you into astrology? I would say no. <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> magical practices are basically not quite anti-astrology, but pretty close. Like, okay. as in the idea is if this is true, that the job of the magician is to overcome that fate. That is your job That's as a magician. Like. Your job is to overcome the fate, a hand that you were given. I mean, granted, you know, I wrote a book on chaos magic. I tend to have some mixed left hand and right hand path ideal uh, ideas, but, you know, so granted, that's the caveat there. <laughs> because for me, 
you know, because I've thought a lot about this, like lavender, everybody loves lavender. Cindy, why does lavender give you a headache? And I cannot tolerate the taste of it because we do Hecate's Kitchen. So I have um, an executive pastry chef who is one of my educators in my school. And, you know, she develops recipes every month. And I said, I have to be honest with you. I cannot stand the taste of lavender. Like it's a hard no. So I won't be joining in. So we're doing eggs for Hecate this month as part of I kind of like, well, I can't stand the taste of lavender, so we're working on eggs. But so I think, I do think, like, our, I see astrology as archetypal forces that, you know, like the planets and the signs of the zodiac do have energies and signatures and do things. And they also are connected to something much more mysterious and greater. And I think when it comes to our personal astrology, we're, we're <clears throat> in Western astrology, <clears throat> in Western astrology, it's the lavender. I'm talking about lavender and I go horse. So in Western astrology, you know, the, the plants are governed by planets and signs of the zodiac. And so my theory, and you know, like, and I know this goes back, you know, hundreds of years, that for people who have certain astrological profiles and plants with certain astrological pro profiles, there can be both great accord and also dissonance based on that. So I think that's a really interesting idea, you know, to explore, like in terms of what someone's personality is and maybe their astrology and also how that <clears throat> might, in, might influence how they interact with different plants. Absolutely. But so, also don't get along with other mercurial plants then that are similar to, to lavender. Well, I. If we're talking about my astrology, my, my personal chart is really dominated by mercurial energy. So I've thought a lot about that. I don't want to make this into Cindy's deep dive therapy session about why she doesn't get along. Hey, we get the truth. <laughs> we get the truth out. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like I said, it's live radio. We, ask, we just kind of be like, yeah, let's drive in. Let's see why. It's like being interviewed by Barbara Walters. <laughs> I, you know, I take that as a compliment, actually. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Let's see. I got compared to Barbara Walters. I mean, I've hit the top tier, right? Like, I know. You know, and my sister loves lavender, and she's super Mars energy. And, you know, like I said, I've thought about it a lot. So, you know, I see your point in saying that it can be something in our own composition that is causing the resistance. But I also think sometimes, rarely, it can, it can be something more. I mean, it could also just be, I know, my Scorpio ascendant saying, like, we don't want any of that softness around here. Right, um, right, right. So especially <laughs> especially if you identify with that, right? It's like, right. like it's going to be like, don't listen to that sweet talker herb, lavender. Get out, no get sweet talking herbs. <laughs> right. I mean, lavender is kind of a sweet talker, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Just speak nice. Speak nice. You know, right. get all calm. Get calm. It's all especially good. the French lavender, particularly. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like, yeah, yeah. Just, just sweeten your tongue a little bit. Just be real nice. You know, like you can hear only the good things. You know, I imagine if you you identify with the Scorpion rising, it's like, no, that's not how it's going to be, lavender. Let me show you. <laughs> Let me show you some penny royal and some wormwood. <laughs> right. Or even, so, you know, just, rosemary. Let's get things fired. 
anyway, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I've had a lot of TCM over the years. So it, I always like to kind of bring my more Western merging psych psychology with herbalism, have discussions with people who are TCM practitioners, because like for me, I've had so many amazing treatments for the past three decades of my adult life. That's usually like a TCM doctor will be like, that's my idea of a doctor. <laughs> so I've had a lot of experience with that. So I just really appreciate, I like our group. Like you, we've got a chaos magician, we got a TS, you know, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor, and then me. Well, technically, uh, I mean, technically, I'm a chaos magician too. And Drew's my teacher. <laughs> so, and, and technically, I'm a voodoo priest as well. Like, so it's kind of crazy. It is. It's a fun mix. It is a fun right. mix. So, when you're talking about like you're a mixture of the left hand path and the right hand path, so I think that's a really interesting discussion, especially when it comes to herbalism. It is. And like the poison path, I don't know what the other path is. Like we talk a lot about the poison path. So what is the other path? Probably the healing path, right? Probably the healing, yeah. I don't even think there's a name for it because it's not as popular. But I mean, I think there's benevolent herbs and then the poison path considered the malevolent herbs, but they're not. That's, yeah. they're like almost all of TCM is about poison. Yeah, like, it is, it is. It's about dealing poison in micro doses to just basically kill off problems like i think the poison path has gotten a bad a bad name because the herbs are all poisonous but they're medicines like if used correctly or they're psychological or they're psychological tools for self-growth like or just they're just beautiful plants so like all of them they're just mm -hmm. the most famous plants because they're well they're dangerous so they get press <laughs> like well, they're powerful spirits very powerful spirits yeah yeah, they're very well. I mean, there's other herbs that are powerful spirits too. I mean, there's lots of non-poison herbs that are very powerful, but it's like I just think that allure, and, and maybe that's from your experience too. It's the allure that they could kill you that makes them so sexy. It's like uh it's like forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> Children behave, you know. The taboo <laughs> herbs. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're the taboo herbs that everyone tells you. Hey, stay away from. And I think I think it's so much that we talk about the poison path that we don't even remember the name for the non-poison path herbs that like everyone's just like, well, they're just normal herbs, right? Like <laughs> But the poison path is a healing path. Yes. I mean, yeah. even like you said, there's that allure of the poisons and reading like maybe occult herbal books or whatever. There's but there's a there's a, a like there's something about that. They're very seductive, even to learn about them. And I think there is a sense, even reading books about them, that you're gaining access to like secret knowledge. And you know, I, I keep a poison garden. Um, and you know, it is really part of my <clears throat> part of my, I guess, my own personal development to tend to that, like for me to have poisonous plants, uh, in particular aconite, who is my lovely, uh, it's about not only connecting with the spirit of aconite and all of the lore and everything to do with that, also known as Wolfsbane, um, but it's also like with the poisons, it is an invitation to wholeness, to see ourselves, like we aren't just, you know, little happy pansies, 
um, you know what I mean? Or, you know, whatever the cute little, trying to think of cute little annuals that you put in a pot, you know, which would be like opposite personality wise of like my aconite, which, you know, grows in a hidden part of the property that nobody knows. I got an opposite on that one. Lavender. Very good. <laughs> Maybe why I'm saying, oh, I love my aconite. She is the lady of the garden. Maybe that's it. And the lavender won't grow near my poisons. The lavender has a whole different place with time. Absolutely. Where they can hang out and be nice to each other. But so I think, you know, the poison path is, it offers so much like healing. It's an opportunity to understand ourselves better. If we step back and say, you know, why am I drawn to these poisons? Um, what does it say about me? Is it an invitation to explore my own wholeness, my own darkness? which I think is that's where we kind of start to cross into Hecate's territory. I agree. Yeah, um, that's true. You know. Especially on these plants that are, are darker because Hecate is essentially tied in many myths to death or the mm -hmm. cemetery or the gateways to the cemetery or the gateways between worlds through the cemetery or, or, or decay or darkness or all the stuff that she's tied to is definitely tied closely to the poison path and a lot of the myths. Um, and a lot of it is also confronting the fact that there is a narrative of witchcraft that is toothless and these poison herbs subvert it. Basically says, you know, witchcraft has teeth for thousands of years, thousands and thousands of years, witches and shamans were using these poisons that have teeth. Like, this is not a toothless practice. Like, and you think you're getting to that confronting your own dark side or using your own dark side. Not necessary for not necessarily for curse work either. That's not what we're talking about. So don't take it out of context, everyone listening. I'm not yes. saying go curse curse everyone. I'm saying you do at some point if you're gonna. I mean, I think I think it's fair to say if you're gonna work with Hecate, you're gonna have to confront your own dark side. Right, because I and, think you know, like we talk about Hecate. You know, one of her most ancient roles is as a psychopomp, and you know, the psychopomp yeah. is the one who guides souls between the worlds, both to the afterlife and into life. I mean, that's an aspect of Hecate that is often overlooked. Right, no because doubt. because Hermes later was, in later stories, were sort of given the job. Uh, it kind of gets overlooked that previous stories had, had her in the role. Uh, the older stories all had her in that role, not, not Hermes. Yep. And so, you know, like the poison path is about soul work. You know, if you are using like microdosing to heal, I mean, and even today, you know, with the popularity of like ayahuasca ceremonies, you know, that's the whole idea of having those experiences, those psychotropic experiences to heal the soul, right? Because, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy might tell you how not to blow up at your boss at work, but it doesn't fix the problem. And, you know, that's where plant medicine can come in and do more and you know the poison path which is about our own mortality of course hecate being this psychopomp who you know ferries souls both you know into the afterlife and then also as aletheia as the divine midwife in back into this life that she is the one so when we are working with poisons then we are confronting our own mortality and in a sense you know it is a way of honoring hecate and invoking the you know the idea of the psychopomp because, you know, whenever we are putting ourselves in a situation where our mortality becomes obvious, you know, and I think childbirth is that, death is that. And then I also think working with very noxious plants, 
is that as well, right? Because if I don't wear my gloves, you could get sick. I get very, very sick from my aconite. Aconite demands me to be aware of my mortality. Yep. And I think that's what Hecate teaches. You know, she scares the life into us. And working with poisonous plants can also scare the life into us. Because that's like almost a fight club. It is a fight club metaphor. (laughs) They'd have a near life experience. I don't think I've ever had anything I've said in my life compared to Fight Club. This is kind of cool. did now. No, it's good. That's what I get for hanging out with chaos magicians. This is fun. Okay. Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's kind of what you're describing. Right. Near life experience. What is it? What happens in Hecate's garden stays in Hecate's Stays in Hecate's garden. <laughs> there you go. It doesn't get better than that. It doesn't. I think that's been a, a catchphrase from some Saturday night rituals right there. What happens? They most definitely have. Ritual stays in the country's ritual. Like, we don't talk about that. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because you have a lot on the herbs too, but you also mix in the book. There's a fair amount of spell work that you kind of mention and talk about, and, and try to link back to maybe some of the, the Greek stories of Medea and, and Circe, uh, and how they they might have used spellcraft in this way. And maybe you could talk about your favorite. What's your favorite spell in in Hakate's garden? Oh, well, <clears throat> I would say, let me see what's right on my desk right now. That's from the book. So the oleum, it's called the death walking oil in the book. Um, we call it oleum spirita, which just means spirit oil. And that really has become like the central botanical formulation that I teach and that we work with in ritual ways and different ways, you know, for anointing and different ways. Some students also work it in more of the, the physiological, like anti-inflammatory properties of the oil. So I really, really love that. So that's the death walking oil and the idea, again, sticking with our theme of confronting our own mortality and, you know, embracing the psychopath aspects. Um, I love that one. What else? Gotta think there's so many in here. You know what? I love asters. I love asters. They grow all around my property here. And there is this recipe for it. It really isn't a spell, but it can be, you know, like amplified into a spell. Are those aster bath bombs? I make them every fall. I love asters. I love taking a very humble plant and helping others see it as so much greater than, you know, just a little plant at the side of the road that that's kind of cute and purple, you know, that there's a whole lure around it. Mm. I love them all. I love the things I do with seaweed and moss. I like the recipes. Well, tell us. Tell well, we tell us about that seaweed and moss one. We've got the book, but they don't have we the book. We've got the yet. book, but they don't. <laughs> or maybe they're listeners. Some of them do, but so with moss, moss is really interesting. I'm fascinated by moss. Is there moss in traditional Chinese medicine? Absolutely. We have a whole coast on China, right? So seaweed is a thing. Seaweed and moss are a thing. So in the book, what do I talk about in the book? You can eat it, of course. It's lovely. Oh, and the rockweed wreath. So if you are fortunate like me to live in a place where there is more rockweed than a person could ever do anything with in a lifetime. Wreath as a place to bless and cleanse, working with the salt properties and also the aspects of Hecate Inalia, or Inalia, which is a very ancient title of her that means goddess of the oceans. Again, which loops us back 
to the in-betweenness of Hecate. You know, for the ancients, they saw the ocean as the great, you know, the, it was the, the way into the deeper world, the way into the underworld. If you think of like those Pluto's gates, maybe you've seen some of those or visited those that they found, you know, gates to the underworld. And they're always associated with like water. You know, there's the caves at Eleusis, which there's water nearby. It's a little bit different. But so it's this whole idea of connecting to the ocean through something that is definitely, you know, widely available here. So the reeds, I love to make dried reeds. You can do other spells that aren't in the book with seaweed. They're great for cleansing and blessing. And, you know, I hope in writing about seaweed in the book, it inspires people to look around at what botanicals are plentiful where they live and grow, you know, grow naturally and see if maybe there's ways that they can work with them in magic. And moss, I really like moss because it's ancient. And my word of the year for 2023 is ease. So I have a little dish of moss. I don't like to take too much, but moss, I live where there's so much granite, right? There's so much moss on the granite here. And then there's other types of moss as well. So I think moss is a great spirit to have around when we need to slow things down and work according to a longer time. You know, like we might say the arc of the universe, but I think Moss almost functions on like Kairos time, you know, the time of the gods, like, because Moss is not even, Moss does not pay much attention even to the wheel of the year. Like it pays a little bit of attention to the seasons, but, but not so much, you know, Moss keeps its own schedule. So, you know, if you, like, I would say a simple way to connect with Moss would be like in your life, if you feel like you are too much in grind culture, you know, you can learn a little bit about moss and connect to the spirit of moss. Even you might be surprised where you find moss around your home or on your, you know, when you're walking to work in the morning and just think about moss and how it offers something completely different to like the hustle culture that we live in today. Well, do you have any upcoming, we'll get the links out in our, We'll definitely get the links out at school that you mentioned. Events coming up or? Events coming up. We have our Hecate's Garden retreat, online retreat that is happening on the May full moon. Um, I am, we're have, I am the speaker, like the, the keynote speaker at a wilderness camp Hecate in Michigan coming up in July, but I think that's just about sold out. And you can find out more about Fovina, which of course is Latin for coven anytime by just going to keepingyourkeys.com. And yeah, my new herb book is out, Entering Hecate's Cave, which is a deep dive into the psychology, the depth psychology that it, we can lean into for healing into wholeness, because I really do see a common theme across both of these books, because you know some people have said, well, you wrote a book about herbalism, and now you know, you've kind of gone to back to your, your psychological roots, as it were. And I said, well, to me, they are both about a path of healing into our fullness. They are offered as antidotes to, I love how you said witchcraft with no teeth. So they're, you know, I offer my books as antidotes to a life with no teeth. And, you know, what it's like to be able to actually like have teeth and really like chew and digest all that life has to offer and all that we are in a way that's magical and meaningful. 
So yeah, so entering Hecate's cave. And then of course there's the Keeping Your Keys podcast as well if they want to listen to me talking about these things every week. There you go. There you go. There you go. We'll awesome. put all those links into the YouTube. We'll put all the links into YouTube. I know, like we had a lot of people who commented. We really really appreciate you all stopping by. Absolutely. So we do so so Cindy, stay on for a second real fast. We do have some things we have to announce. We already told everyone about the Monkey King, which Cindy might attend. That's gonna be me running meditation and hopefully the monkey king doesn't inspire me to have him piss myself or something yeah no 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 his stories is that that's what he does sometimes because he's a trickster and he doesn't care this about is the authority figures <laughs> this is an authority figure so you know when we're doing meditation hopefully i'm like yeah go imagine pissing on andrea right now hoping that doesn't you know i don't say that because it no, could happen. No, it could, but no. <laughs> no, no. But the following week, what do we have going on for ritual? Since we do a so ritual. We're following week, keeping it to Easter, right? Uh, we do have the connected God connecting to the crystal spirit within ritual. Right. So, so this is not, I should say, this is a Christian ritual that we're going to do. However, it's a Gnostic Christian ritual. So it's not quite, if you're listening, it's not quite. From the states, it's not Republican Jesus. It's the messenger spirit of the Gnostics, which is the divine spirit of divine love and message from God and wisdom. Very different type of spirit, but it is appropriate for us to do it on Easter. It's going to do that. Then what else? What do we got coming up? If you're a sponsor and you help well, us pay the lights on, keep the lights on, and this is in person and on online. Well, then after that, we got our workshop on healing trauma through self-hypnosis. And then we right. get into a whole slew of rituals and workshops from there. Right. Which and is... of course, as, as of course, we announce the same thing every week starting July 1st. 72 Galatia. Three-year project. That's right. We're going to have a workbook for each Galatia. We're going to summon each one with everyone. And we're also going to summon each semaphorish every two weeks till we're done. In order. With Stephanie Colony. <laughs> right. Who's going to help us and a couple other people. So that's like if you're a sponsor, that's the kind of stuff we do. Like you can help us keep the lights on for all the sponsors listening right now. We really appreciate it. There's different sponsorship levels. And in fact, even at the lowest level of the sponsor, you can come in. Anyone can come in at any time. We're open and just look at the books. But if you're a sponsor, you can check them out. Pick up the book, Zach. The one we have. There we go. There we got double. Double. It's in the library right now. If you're in Toronto, you can come just look at it. Like I said, even at the $10 sponsor level, you can check it out and you can see if you like it. You know, and then we have hundreds of tarot cards that are sample decks that you can, like 500 tar different tarot cards that are sample decks. You can check out. There you go. There's some now. I, I got one here too. Like I have this one. Like this one I just got. It's cool. What's uh, that? What's the dancer? Turn it around. Turn it around. There we go. Kabbalistic Tarot oh. 5187. I think it's a rare edition that you can't actually buy, but anymore. And somebody gifted to me or traded for Michael. Do you know that there's a PGM tarot? Like I a Greek magical Bavarian? I can believe that actually. No. I should I should look at getting that actually, just for myself. <laughs> like I thought you might I mean, be interested. I get, well, yeah. You kind of like, you know, PGM stuff, you know. And then 
what do we have going on next week for the show we got ronnie pontiac and we're going to be talking about it's more of a historical anthology about america and the different paradigms and systems that went into it to form american culture or at least influence it so that'll be a fun conversation zach the history nerd gets to come out next week yes yes <laughs> very good so as we say to everyone every week stay well try to get as much happiness as you can in your life and thanks for coming by we will see you all next saturday live and we want to thank cindy hopefully we can cover have her back on when she gets her her new book we out. Fully out. So, oh, so we'll, then we have to get her back on. Oh, great! Hey, there's Toronto has as wait is the tornado warnings in Toronto? No, nope, but uh, I just say yeah. tornado warning. <laughs> okay, okay, that's what I was gonna say. It's a Toronto warning. No, it's nope, that's a pretty <laughs> No, there's terrible storms, you know, in the uh, southern United States right now that I know a lot. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. People are really acted by with the tornadoes and wildfires and so on there's a lot going on as it is it's april fool's day this time mother nature didn't laugh mother nature did the joke well she's not laughing though that's what i'm saying yes she isn't stay safe everyone especially like if there's a tornado warning or something like that mm -hmm. we'll see everyone next week deeper down the rabbit hole is sponsored by the Queen City Curio and Apothecary in Toronto, Ontario. Proudly in East Chinatown. Our store is at 607 Gerard Street East. Unit 401. Just take the elevator up to the fourth floor and we're right there. We carry the finest spiritual goods for all spiritual paths. Whatever you are into, we can help you. Check out our full public library of occult materials with over a thousand books. Accessible anytime the store is open. Check us out online at queencitycurio.ca. Be sure to leave a wish at our wish shrine right outside our door. You never know, it may just come to pass.